Voila, so now we have a full house. Welcome. <laughs> a wildlife emergency. I'm glad you attended to it. We don't want to keep on wiping out our wildlife. Good. So thank you. I'm sure you, what you were doing was meaningful. Thank you. So this morning we'll continue in the meditative cultivation of loving kindness. And the Buddha himself said there are many benefits to such meditation, to such transformation of the mind. And I'd like to share with you just very briefly what he said in this regard. So he said among the benefits of loving kindness, I think, I think there are 11 here, one sleeps in comfort. So insomnia, insomnia is a major problem in the modern world. I think, you know, they're just probably selling millions upon millions of dollars worth of drugs, various types of drugs to get people to fall asleep. But loving kindness is free, you know. So if, you'd like, if you're having any problem with insomnia, just having a hard time falling asleep or staying asleep, then the Buddha is recommending loving kindness as a practice because it soothes the mind. It calms the mind in the sweetest possible way. There are many ways of calming, mindfulness of breathing, you might even calm the mind by meditating on death. I can kind of get things subdued a little bit. But the sweetest way, the kindest way, to calm your mind so it can slip into much-needed sleep is through the cultivation of metta, of loving-kindness. So one sleeps in comfort, and one wakes in comfort. <clears throat> so when you wake up, you feel good. His Holiness Dalai Lama was asked what, what was his first thought when he wakes up in the morning. And I've heard, I think he was asked that multiple times because I've heard two responses from him. And one, one is, he'll wake up, he'll wake up and say, and now let's have a happy day. So, loving kindness for himself and everybody around. So that's one. So that's Dalai Lama's plan A. And plan B, bodhicitta. First thought, bodhicitta. So that's engaged bodhicitta. As soon as you wake up, you just, it's like you know, getting into the car at the beginning of the day to go to work. I mean, you just get in the car. It's the first thing you do. You don't think about anything else when you need to get to work except for getting in your car. And so his holiness wakes up and he gets in the car. The Mahayana vehicle. The great vehicle. Right? So one awakes in comfort. One dreams no evil dreams. That would be good. Sometimes dreams can be torture as long as they're non-lucid. But this is even non-lucid dreams. You dream no evil dream. You have no nightmares. One is dear to human beings. Now clearly there's no guarantee you're going to be dear to every human being. Even the Buddha wasn't. Other great enlightened beings were not dear to everyone. People just have their mental afflictions. They'll look at a, a mound of snow and see charcoal. You know, people have their own perceptions. And there's nothing you can do about it. You know? But overall, if your whole life, your way of viewing reality, your way of viewing other sentient beings and yourself is one of loving-kindness, then on the whole, you will find that other people hold you dear. Deities guard one. I can't comment on that, but I'd like to put it to the test of experience. The next one is quite interesting. Fire, poison, and weapons do not affect one. I go very slowly on that one in terms of putting it to the test of experience. But it's there, and it's not meant tongue-in-cheek. The Buddha didn't joke around on this kind of thing. So it's an interesting point. We're speaking very clearly of a very, very deep sense of loving-kindness. Then one's mind is easily concentrated. 
Well, that's certainly relevant to everything we've been doing here. The expression on one's face is serene. One dies unconfused. That would be a major boon. Just if, it were, if that were the only benefit, that would be fantastic. And bear in mind, all of these are benefits for yourself of cultivating loving-kindness, let alone the benefit that your loving-kindness acts as a medium for, that is, by way of loving-kindness, then your speech, your physical activities, your work, and so forth and so on. Uh, he doesn't even comment, comment on the obvious and bountiful benefits for others if you act with loving-kindness. Right? These are all for your own sake. And so it's right in, exactly in line with Shantideva saying, if you don't reflect upon the benefits of bodhicitta for yourself, then how will you ever get the inspiration to develop for others? So you start there, but then you don't stop, right? Then you extend outwards. And then the final one is, if one achieves nothing higher, that is, you cultivate loving-kindness, but let's say you don't practice vipassana, you don't practice any of the, you know, engage in the wisdom practice and so on, if one achieves nothing higher, so at the very least, what happens? One reappears in the Brahma world as one, as one who wakes up from sleep. The Brahma world is in the form realm. And so it's really, it's beyond just those kind of sensual desire realm devas that are just having, you know, party all the time, party, party, party. Uh, it sounds like a lot of fun, frankly. I'm sure they have much better parties than you have here in Phuket. But nevertheless, it's still just a party. And then it's over, and then it's really over. And they say the end of the party is terrible. When you see that your, your lease is run out on that deva realm, they say it's really awful. Really awful. So I don't think I want to explore that one. But this is not desire realm. This is Brahma. The Brahma world is a form realm. So that's something quite sublime. So in other words, a higher rebirth. So if, if nothing else, a higher rebirth in a deva realm. So those are the words of the Buddha. In that regard, I think very meaningful. Those are on our on my supplementary notes that I'll send out again on Saturday. And as we venture into the practice, I'd like to do so closely adhering to the Buddha's own words. Just two points. And I'll give a little bit of guidance during the session, but not much, because it's really time for meditation and not more for hearing and thinking, but more time for meditation. But one statement from the Pali Canon, one who loves himself will never harm another. One who loves himself will never harm another. And so I think you all, and, and I, would, I would hope everybody listening by podcast, you will immediately slip into what he really meant. One who loves oneself, absolutely, of course, but I'll say it anyway, of course, not referring to narcissism, self-infatuation, I'm a jolly good fellow, I'm so good, not that. Of course not that. Loving kindness is what we've been cultivating from the very beginning, right? This a loving kindness towards oneself, really wishing oneself well, one oneself may find happiness, the causes of happiness, and arousing this aspiration with wisdom, that you really have some insight. What are the causes of happiness? A lot of people can envision happiness, but fewer number can envision what actually brings you happiness. And so how many, as Shantideva said, act out of delusion while seeking happiness, destroy the very causes of their happiness, as if those causes were their foe. So that's the first point. So in our practice, in beginning in just a moment or two, We'll start with loving-kindness in the center, for ourselves, self-directed. And then, as the Buddha said in another, I think it was another sutta, again, Pali Canon, then the practitioner, the yogi, then extends loving-kindness to all the cardinal directions, the intermediate directions, above and below, and just sends out, not just thoughts, not just feelings, but aspirations, aspirations, 
of loving kindness in all directions, just kind of like a bubble, like a sphere of loving kindness, a field of loving kindness, extending in all directions to all the sides above, and to all the beings, human and non-human, who may be above and below, uh, and simply wishing the whole world well. Uh, when you're practicing this on, on your own, you may find it very helpful to go back to your notes that I've shared with you already. Go back to the Metta Sutta, the Buddhist Discourse on Loving Kindness. And you may just slowly recite that as you expand the field, now not just the field of your mind, but the field of your heart, embracing all sentient beings in this, in this embrace, just that, of loving kindness. So that will be our session. Yeah. So... We often speak of purificatory practices, preliminary practices. This is one of them. This is one of them. I've seen this in, in I've received many teachings on the preliminary practices in multiple lineages. Uh, one way or another, loving kindness always pops up. You know. And some of the preliminary practices require a lot of faith. The mental offering and really having some sense, some faith, I'm really offering something that is, real, is as real as anything else. That's not easy. I've explained how it's feasible, plausible. You might actually wrap your mind around that there actually is on some plane of existence, which we'll get to tonight, of Mount Meru and the Four Continents. Because on the surface, of course, it seems so totally outlandish, like complete fable, mythology, and yet we have those quirks that the Buddha seemed to take it very seriously. So did Moggallana Putra. And then we find it's taken very seriously in the whole Tibetan tradition, including in this text, which is coming up shortly. And so, but that takes some understanding. To be offering the mandala and do it from the heart with deep devotion, with just just that utter reverence, and just offering the mandala again and again. That takes some understanding and some faith for sure. Likewise, to practice vajrasattva, it's a powerful practice, enormously powerful practice. But if and only if you have deep faith in it, a deep reverence, a deep devotion. And the same thing goes for guru yoga. If you have much faith, don't have much faith, and you're just going through a ritual not a benefit of the guru, because the whole practice wasn't for the benefit of the guru in the first place. <laughs> Anybody who thinks it is, is completely mystable. You think, oh, I'm going to really please the guru. I'm going to do a lot of guru yoga. That will do her a lot of good. Oh, man. Back to square one. Back to the, back to the, end, of the end of the line. We have to, we're going to have to do this all over again from the start, because you've entirely missed the entire point. So guru yoga clearly needs a lot of faith, trust, and understanding that it doesn't just slip into idolatry or just kind of some an attachment to, oh, this person is so wonderful, you know, like some kind of a romantic crush. You know, that's silly. Just one more mental affliction now cropping up in the, in, the, in the guise of, in the pretense of being dharma. So the classic preliminary practices, tremendously deep, powerful, but if and only if one, one's mind, one's heart rises to the occasion, there they are, these lofty practices. And if you rise to them, they bless you, they purify you, they imbue you with tremendous merit. But if you don't rise to them, then it's, it's just that, something you got through. And then you can say, I finished the preliminaries. Lama, I finished preliminaries. You know, Man, it was hard getting through those prostrations. But I'm finished. Now can I have what I really wanted? You know. And then you've missed the whole point. If I were the Lama, then I'd say, oh, no, do them all over again. Or don't. Maybe you should try something else. If you were just getting through those, that's like wanting to raise children. And by the time they, you know, they're off to college, saying, Phew, I got through that. Better not be a parent in the first place, right? 
if, if the child knew, my parents just are getting through this. So they, I don't know, because they like the tax benefits. <laughs> you know. I think I'd want to adopt some other parents. You know, like, you know, like that. So there we are. So, you ready to meditate? We'll begin as we have. The supplication, not the chanting. The chanting is on the outside. The supplication is on the inside. And then the four empowerments are only on the inside. And then we'll proceed into the practice.
Omma hum bendugur upemesiri hum. Switch postures now if you wish. Recall that there are two ways of cultivating loving-kindness. One is by meditatively cultivating loving-kindness, in the metta-bhavana. But the other, according to the teachings of the Buddha, is by acting with loving-kindness. It's from the outside in. It transforms, transmutes the actor. So as an act of loving-kindness for yourself, and implicitly for all sentient beings, settle your body, speech, and mind in the natural states. Now, we're still in the context of a Dzogchen retreat. We're not slipping into Shravakayana now, let alone slipping outside the Buddhist context into a secular meditation. Let's stay where we are, in the midst of a Dzogchen retreat. So within this context, then I invite you to dissolve, to release into space. Any sense of your own identity, as a sentient being, of your body, speech, and mind being the body, speech, and mind of a sentient being. Om svabhava shudasabhadama, svabhava shudoham. The nature of all phenomena is pure. The purity of all phenomena am I. Rest your awareness for a moment in its own nature.
Now your identity, your existence as a sentient being also has its reality. It's simply not the only reality. So with the power of imagination, if you've not yet realized Rigpa, then imagine viewing yourself as a sentient being from the perspective of yourself as pristine awareness. View yourself with the view of the great perfection. And from this perspective, arouse from the depths of your own Buddha nature, the vision of your own well-being, your flourishing, your awakening, And with each outbreath arouse the aspiration, directed towards yourself as a sentient being. May I find happiness in the causes of happiness. As you envision your greatest well-being, your vision of fulfillment, wish yourself well. From this ground awareness, from this orb of light, from this indestructible bindu at your heart, with each out-breath, imagine if you will, rays of light flowing out, permeating, saturating every aspect of your being, your entire body, speech, and mind. Purifying, dispelling all obscurations. Now expand the field of loving-kindness. Expand this field of light. And as the Buddha counseled, expand this field of loving-kindness in all directions. The cardinal directions, the intermediate directions are all around about you, above and below. And with every outbreath, arouse the aspiration. May each of us, human and non-human alike, Find happiness in the causes of happiness. 
with every out-breath, expands the sphere. It's like a growing bubble, embracing all those around. As you extend this around to all around about you, you may arise in this pure vision and divine pride. If this is a practice that you're familiar with, that you embrace, that you have confidence in, then imagine yourself in the form of your personal deity, and sending out the light of loving kindness from the very ground of your being. Imagine each one finding the happiness they seek. Imagine each one becoming free, realizing perfect awakening.
And now let your awareness simply illuminate the space of your mind. So not simply resting in its own nature, but as if you were about to embark on a session of settling the mind in its natural state. Direct your awareness. Illuminate the space of your mind. Your awareness still, clear, cognizant. But attending to this open space, And now, without directing your attention to any particular person, place, anything particular in this space, simply rest there and then see, in a phrase, who comes knocking at your door. What person? What community? Possibly what region of the globe? Simply comes to mind. Uninvited. What comes to mind are appearances of an individual, a group, then shift away from the practice of settling the mind in its natural state, in which you simply attend to appearances as appearances. And now in this context of loving-kindness, by way of the appearances, attend to those individuals, be they human or non-human, whoever comes knocking you at your door, give them your full attention. But not simply in the mode of samadhi, Tender them single-pointedly with a heart of loving kindness. And practice as before, with every out-breath. Linger there as long as you wish, and dissolve the appearance back into the space of your mind. And see who comes to mind next. Attend. And then next, and attend. Let's continue practicing now.
cease all appearances, all objects of the mind, all aspirations, and let your awareness rest in its own place. To draw a parallel when people who are relatively new to the practice of shamatha without a sign or awareness of awareness, when they first start doing it, often a lot of qualms arise and uncertainties. They start second-guessing themselves, thinking, I must be doing this wrong. I'm not getting, I'm not getting real incredible clarity and bliss, none. I'm just sitting here. I'm not quite sure what I'm doing. I think I'm not doing anything, and that seems like maybe that's not it. And so what very often happens in such practice is that you've listened carefully to the teachings, you're implementing them, you're doing them exactly right, and then you doubt, even while you're doing it right. right? Then you're pulling the, the rug out from beneath your own feet, which is what an enemy would do. But you shouldn't be your own enemy. So that's why I've said so often for all of the practices, but that one especially, learn the instructions well, implement them, do the practice correctly, and know you're doing the practice correctly. And then you can rest with that confidence that this is it. And if there's no big spikes of luminosity and blah, 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 well, okay, well, give it a chance. This is called achieving or accomplishing shamatha. This is how you do it, by doing it correctly and then simply continuing and familiarizing yourself, getting into the flow of it, and then see what is offered unto you. you know? And similarly, when it comes to the cultivation of loving kindness, we have a lot of preconceptions, I think, we bring to this. We sit down and, ah, shucks. My mind isn't just filled with this warmth of incredible love and affection, and it's not happening. 
I've seen that in other people, like his holiness Dalai Lama and so forth, and I'm going, that's not happening. I must be doing it wrong. Or maybe I'm just an inferior individual, or maybe it's not working. And it's once again, it's laying these expectations on the practice. Number one, let's just remember that loving kindness in the Buddhist understanding is not an emotion. It's not a feeling either. It may come with an emotion, but not necessarily. And for some, emotional people tend to have more emotion arising in their meditation than other people. And some people are not so emotional. That doesn't mean they're inferior people. They're just different personality types, right? So if a person who's not so emotional is cultivating loving kindness, very deep loving kindness may come, but maybe not a whole lot of emotion. And then a person with a lot of emotion, they may practice, do the practice, and a lot of emotion may come up, but maybe not much loving kindness. Loving kindness is an aspiration, not an emotion. So, to not go on and on here, it is helpful for all of these practices, as much as we can, to have some sense of whether the practice, whether we're doing it correctly, and whether whether benefits are being derived. That's a perfectly reasonable expectation. Having some criteria by which to evaluate, is this practice helpful or not? Okay. There's some, like when you're off the mandala, do you have a little, a little uh, merit gauge? Click, 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 click. Oh, that was good. 100 gigawatts of merit. Just, you know, just, you know. Well, no. So that's going to be faith. And get over it. That's the way it is. Some things we do on faith. Right? The tzok that you'll do, and many of you will do tonight. Are you going to feel radically transformed at the end of the tzok? Well, if not, blame not to. <laughs> Don't blame me, you know, it's all right. And everybody knows I'm joking. Uh, well, you may feel radically transformed, it's possible. I mean, it's a, it's a blessed, it's a, a sacred ceremony. It's a celebratory one, but it's also sacred. Tremendous blessing. You can see how often it's, it's, it's encouraged here, and in so many other cases throughout the entire Vajrayana. So there may, you may really receive blessing. It's, it really it depends 99% on you, what you're bringing to it. But certainly you may feel very deeply blessed by it, transformed by it. But overall, it's a matter of faith. You know? It's a matter of faith. But for loving kindness, it is a matter of faith, but there's also criteria. And here's one you can take home with you. And that is as a result of the meditative cultivation of loving kindness you can see some indication that this is really transforming, it's being beneficial, the practice is working. If, when you're out and about, seeing the worms on the sidewalk, seeing the staff cleaning, cleaning the, cleaning, taking care of the grounds, cleaning the room, preparing our meals, attending to our needs from the front desk, and so forth, when you're seeing other people in the rest of Tanyapuri here, and of course I'm specifically addressing the people right here, everybody on podcast, take your own environment, but when you're out and about and you're seeing other sentient beings, human beings, but also animals, if you see other sentient beings, good, include them as well. But here's the criterion. And that is you're simply engaging with the world around you and attending to the sentient beings around you. If you see someone for whom you just spontaneously have, that they're in some need, there's some way that you can contribute to their well-being in some way, that if you find that more and more you're already Poised for action. Poised for action. Right? That you see someone where you feel, I could contribute to this person's happiness. 
And just seeing that, just, you, have to, you have to attend to them for that recognition to come up. You can't ignore them. You don't just keep your eyes down as if nobody else existed. You attend to them. Again, drinking them in, as Shantideva says. Drinking them in with your eyes. And thinking in dependence upon such sentient beings as these, I shall achieve enlightenment. So attending to them with already a sense of gratitude. But then if there's, one, if there's someone out there, animal, human, whatever, that you have a sense, ah, oh, I could be of service here. I could bring this person a bit of joy. Maybe it would be say, by saying, if you're a woman, Atika, and smiling, a genuine smile. They like that, you know. It's a, it's a pleasant greeting. It's a friendly greeting. And the smile that, you know, we do it all the time here, but the smile that comes back, I find generally, I've, I've hung out with Paul Ekman. I know what a fake smile looks like. On the whole, these are not fake smiles. It's definitely part of the culture, but a friendly greeting. And this lovely, and now we know what this the two hands, the two palms, you know, the two palms together, what it means. Whether it's simply a friendly greeting, or maybe there's something more. But in short, as we're out and about, engaging with sentient beings, attending to them lovingly, if we see some opportunity that we can bring someone some happiness, with just a friendly comment, with a gesture, or maybe something more significant, if you find that you're already kind of leaning towards that, you're poised for that, easily ready to slip right into it. You don't have an internal struggle or resistance. The more that happens, then your practice of loving-kindness is working. So that's a clear criterion. The loving-kindness is not just to bring about a nice warm feeling in your own heart, but to orient us towards being of service, bringing others happiness, helping them seek out, identify, and cultivate the causes of happiness. So throughout the course of the day, I've conjoined with this with the breathing because I'm very much hoping throughout the course of the day you'll continue breathing. <laughs> and as you're engaging with the people around you, you know, just when you're sitting there and enjoying this very nice silence, and we've already gotten into the flow of the silent meals, and knowing there's no aloofness there, we're not ignoring each other, we're enjoying, I mean, I think you're like me, enjoying the presence of other people there and enjoying the fact that we don't have to talk. And enjoying the, and everybody knows that's not rude. Everybody knows that. And even if your eyes are down, perfectly fine. Because you're in your own space, you're practicing. And then everybody appreciates that, because that's what we're here for, right? But when, you're, you, when you do raise your eyes, and some sentient being comes into the field, since you're already breathing, why not have vitamin-enriched respira- respiration? And that is your breathing out. Why not? Breathe out the light of love and kindness. Just you know, attend to them. And just breathing out that light of love and kindness quiet wish on the wings of your breath. May you be well and happy. Enjoy your day. See you this afternoon.